Well, good morning, church family. Make your way to your seat if you would. 20 years ago, a pastor hired me to come work for him in Roswell, New Mexico. Where is Roswell, New Mexico? Telling you what, that's right. Got some fans. I told my friends back in Kentucky, y'all know I'm a Kentucky boy, right? Where's my love for my Kentucky people? All right, we got some Kentucky people, all right. It looks like there's more love for New Mexico. We have to work on that one, Larry. But I'll never forget. <laughs> Someone's going to see this, too. Edit this, and I'm just kidding. Um, but whenever we moved here, I told some of my Kentucky friends we're moving to New Mexico, and they're like, oh, we didn't know you guys were going to be missionaries because they didn't know that New Mexico was, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. And they said, how would we call you? Do they have telephones there? No joke, you guys. This is, this is a true story. Uh, so what says, where's New Mexico? I was like, um, above old Mexico, <laughs> where it's always been. Anyway, so we, we moved to New Mexico, and, uh, you know, for me, for this Kentucky boy who's used to seeing lush green like we have here in Florida, Man, they dropped, we got dropped right in the middle of a desert. There were no green, nothing. I remember whenever Pastor Jerry came and we met for the first time, it would have been in January or December, and he looked around there in Kentucky and said, man, it's so green here. And Jody and I looked at each other and looked at him and said, bro, it's the winter. It's dead here. And he looked, he goes, no, trust me, it's green. Just wait. It's green. But we went there, and I'll tell you what, eight years there in New Mexico was some of the best eight years of our life. I have to say it was like the land of Goshen for us. God did so much in us. It was there in Roswell that we learned about community. It was also there in Roswell that we learned about the presence of God. We knew about the anointing. We had experienced gifts and manifestations but Jerry and Rebecca taught us how to be still before the Lord and how to pray. You know, there are a few people in my life that whenever I hear their names, immediately it puts a smile on my face and it hits the sweet spot of my heart. Jerry and Rebecca are those people. And I just want to say, Jerry, thank you for taking a chance on me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for discipling me and for believing in me. This morning I was reminded of the scripture in 1 Corinthians 4.15 that says, you have 10,000 teachers in Christ. A lot of people can get up and do this right here with a microphone. But the scripture says, but you don't have many fathers. And Jerry, I just want to say thank you for being a spiritual father Thank you for continuing to love me and to believe in both Jody and me. And thank you for serving as an overseer for our church. Um, so I just want to welcome him. I'm going to give him all the time he wants this morning. So welcome my pastor, my friend, your overseer, Pastor Jerry Chavez. Wow, what, a, what an introduction, right? I, uh, 
recognize some faces and some are new to me, so maybe I'll have a chance to say hey after the service this morning, but I count it a privilege to be here. Um, like Chris said, we brought him on. I didn't realize I was hiring John the Baptist at that point, but <laughs> but uh, Chris and I have been through uh, the fire together, literally, and um, our church burned in the fire. And uh, he was a refuge for me in many, many ways. I've always wanted Jody to be my daughter, so I, I think I'm going to own her today as well. But um, it's, it's, it's an honor to stand before you. I don't know why, but I'm feeling that the weight of that this morning. Uh, the worship team, which is just amazing. I, I've never heard that song before. Now here, nowhere, now here. And um, there's that line that said he's coming. You know, it's that hope that all of us in this room have that we wake up every morning and think, maybe it could be today, right? Right? Could. I'm up for that. I, I heard this story about a, a man by the name of Bud Wood. And he um, created a home for mentally challenged children. It was a live-in facility, and many of the, of the children there were extreme needs. But it's called Shepherd's Home, and it's a, a very large facility. And one of his good buddies hadn't visited with him in a while, came to see him and said to him, Man, this place is amazing. How, how have you created it? How do you do all this? Gosh, man, what is your biggest problem? And he thought for a minute, Bud Wood did, and he said, well, I think our biggest problem is keeping the windows clean. And he looked at him kind of funny and thought, what? He said, you see, we tell these children every day that Jesus is coming back. And he said, all day long, morning, noon, and night, all you see are little kids and their faces pressed up the glass because they're looking at him, waiting for him to come. I come into this room and I, I just stopped in the hallway before we even, church even started. And I just thought, Lord, these are moments when I can't keep my windows clean. That the, the, the nearness of God in the presence of his precious son Jesus just fills the atmosphere. It, cha it changes everything, right? Have you ever noticed that, man, you're just clocking along, walking through your week, and then all of a sudden things just shift the minute you enter into his presence. It, it just blows your mind. And uh, like the psalmist said, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, right? My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God, right? That's the cry of my heart in these moments where I'm saying, God, I know, I know you're here. I'd love it if you'd come right now, right? So I'm grateful for you. And I, I have the craziest sense that, that because you're here that I get to be here too, you know? I'm in New Mexico, but it, it's just beautiful to be a part of the family of God. So 
I want to just share a few thoughts with you this morning. I won't take up much of your time, but this has been um, heavy on my heart um, since Easter morning. How crazy enough, and it wasn't even an Easter message. It was just a few moments that I had uh, gotten up early uh, on the morning of our of Easter morning to spend some time with the Lord, and the Lord dropped the word in my spirit, and I just cannot shake it. And so even today, when I woke up, it, it just is still ringing in my, in my ears as uh, the Father just spoke to me. But I'll, I'll set up the text for you. In Matthew 24, um, Jesus talks about what will happen at the end of the age. And then he goes on to say, these are the signs that my return is near. It's this uh, longing that he creates. It's a hard chapter to read. Matthew chapter 24, if you've, if you've never read it, you might want to take some time this afternoon and read it. But Jesus says, these are the things to watch for. These are the signs to know that my, my return is near. Right? It is. Would y'all believe that? It is near. He, he's coming. I know he's coming. We're not to know when Right? We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know he is. Right, And I, th I think if we listen to the prophet Zechariah, we can know where he's going to come. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two, Zechariah 14, in Israel. I know that's going to happen, right? Are you ready for it? What do you think? So Jesus sets the stage here, and the thought that I have for us this morning is this. We're living in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, and it's a delay, right? It, it's, a, it's a delay. When, when we don't know what to expect, but we know it's going to happen, and when times get tough or we experience suffering, like someone once said to me, there are gifts that God gives us in our lives that make our hands bleed when we open them. When you, when you experience that death of your days, and then to know he's coming, you say, okay, God, I think I can do this, right? And so Jesus in his dialogue to the disciples, creates this, this longing. I often get asked, Chris probably laughs at me, but I often get asked, do you believe in the rapture? And I, I have to think about it because I know that there's probably an agenda with that question. I'm like, if I say that I don't believe in the rapture, does that mean you'll leave? <laughs> or if I say, I do believe in the rapture, does that mean you'll leave? So I've come up with the best answer because it's really the truth. I don't know, but I want to be on the first bus out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's. I want to be on the first. My wife, my wife Rebecca is different. She wants to stay and work. I don't want that. I want to go on. I'll go on up and help you help, help get the room ready. Jesus, I want to be. I want to be on the first bus out of here. But I just know that we're living in, in a delay. But what's so different I find in the last few weeks of my life is that. I long for Jesus to come, but there's a shift in me. It's not so that I can escape all this stuff that's going on around us in our nation. I want him to come because I just love him. I am not a smart man, but I know what love is, right? 
I just love him. I just want to be with him. And so the Lord on, on Easter morning, I read this verse and it, it just tore me up. It's 2 Timothy 4.8 and it says this. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. I'm like you, I'm like, yeah, I'd love a crown of righteousness, yeah. But when I read, longed for his appearing, I just, it was like a punch in my gut. I thought, Lord, do I long for your appearing? Let me ask you that. Do you long for his coming? Do you ache? Loving Jesus creates heartache. It really does. You ache over your shortcomings. You ache over your failures. You ache, you ache when you sin. You ache because you cannot be completely his, and yet you want to. It creates heartache. But it's all right if it's a longing that's stirred up for more of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know how many of you in here have children. I have two grown boys that are now men. And there were times in, in, in our lives when they were growing up and um, they were going through their own stuff and I would just say, oh, Jesus, come, right? Right? I did. Oh, please, Jesus, help me out of this one, right? I used to think, man, I, I don't want Jesus to come because I want my kids to grow up and I want my, my grandbabies, I want to do some wars around the campfire. I want to go on vacation. But listen, he, he can come right now and I'm just fine with that. Right? Because if you're a grandpa or grandma like me, you, you are concerned for your grandchildren and what they're experiencing and what they might experience and even our own children, what they're experiencing, right? And so we say in those moments, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, right? You know, when Chris said to me, invited me to come and Rebecca to speak, I just looked, I, I just said, oh, Chris, I haven't been there so long. I'm just an old man now. If I come, you won't put me in the nursing home, will you? Yeah. So here I am at 62 years old, and I'm just waiting for his return. So I had to ask myself that hard question, do I long for his appearing? And so after Jesus gives to them Matthew 24, then right after Matthew 24, and the signs of his return, he comes to Matthew 25, and he gives them this parable, and it's the parable of the ten virgins. So if you have your text, turn with me briefly just to Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 25, and I'll read to you just briefly out of Matthew 25, uh, the parable of the, the ten virgins. In this passage of scripture, he's speaking about those that live wise, and there's a connection that he makes with oil and wisdom, and so... Let's read this passage of scripture. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. No, they replied. 
excuse me, I lost my place, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They said, no, there, there may not be enough for both of us. And you instead go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he said, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This, this is the second reference of Jesus where he introduces himself to them as, as the bridegroom. The first is in Matthew chapter 9. But just in a nutshell, and I'll, I'll, I'll break this up here in just a moment, but these 10 virgins, they are of the company that are preparing the bride or the bridegroom. Revelation 19, they're part of that company. Those that will join the marriage supper of the Lamb. The God with his son Jesus and with us the bride, right? What an invitation we've got. I was praying just... Just a few days ago, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Jerry, I was reading this passage. I'm talking about our wedding. Don't you take it lightly. And when he said that, I just felt this weight of how easy it is just to live day after day. And not to cry out for the Holy Spirit in such a way as, as that prophetic word came. I need you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I need you. I must have you. Because one day, we're going to sit at this beautiful table. Y'all with me? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so there's this picture that Jesus paints in this passage of Scripture. Let me read to you just a moment out of Matthew chapter 9, just three verses. And it speaks of the first time that Jesus is mentioned as the bridegroom. John's disciples came up and asked him, how is it that we and Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture that his friends, those that he loves, will mourn when the bridegroom is taken from them, that they will ache when he's taken from them. And so in this passage, he's implying that in his absence, his students, his disciples would fast with intensity, but that intensity would not be a fast over the uh, grieving of their sins or praying for God to deliver the people. Their grieving and their ache in their hearts and their mourning would be because they want him. Right? When we fast, we usually fast because we're trying to think of something we, we want to be stirred up inside of us. Do you, have you ever fasted just simply because you want him? Right? Man, does, for, I don't know about you. For me, that takes the load off of me. I'm like, okay, I can focus on that. Jesus, he never promised us we wouldn't suffer. He didn't promise us everything's going to be perfect in life. He didn't promise every time we showed up somewhere we'd have crowds following after us. But what he did promise is that he'd never leave us, right? And so 
If he promised that he'd never leave us, I just want to know that he's there, and I want more of him. Right? I, I, want, I want more of him. So he wasn't just looking at the disciples, but he was looking through them at us. Right? He loves it. It's hard a concept to grasp hold of, but he loves it when we ache for him. He loves it when we find no satisfaction in anything but him. <laughs> right? So if I said nothing else this morning, that's it. Do you ache for him? Do you long for him? I know this. One encounter with Jesus, you guys, it has a way of squeezing all the junk out of you. One moment in his presence can get rid of pride, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust. It can get rid of all of it. Just one moment. And what it does is it frees you from the desire to have anything else. But it's in his presence that it's found, right? So Jesus was giving them this picture of these, these ten virgins and about the oil. This prophetic word that just came a few moments ago when he mentioned the Holy Spirit. I sense that in this room. This is crazy. How do you sense the Holy Spirit in announcements? And when Ashley got up, I sensed, I sensed the Spirit, right? Right. Oil in this passage of Scripture is representative of the Holy Spirit. Oil in your lamp is to have that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us, right? That in, Chris taught me so much the years that we were there together. There were seasons and there was time when we were trying to rebuild the church after our church fire. Man, all we knew how to do was just cry out to Jesus, right? There were many moments where we could just say, just Jesus. And we had people, conflict. We had all kinds of conflicts. But you know what? Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit will change anything. It really will. And so Jesus is speaking in this passage of Scripture about that indwelling spirit of, of the Holy Spirit. With, without the Holy Spirit, you guys, we don't have the, the power to crush the blows of the slanderous lies of the enemy. We just don't have it, right? It's just not there. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't live out John 10.10, 10, that abundant life that God has promised. We have got to have the Holy Spirit. And I'm not your pastor, but I think he'd be okay with me saying this. I'm telling you right now, you will not make it in the last days if you do not have the Holy Spirit. I know you're not my church, but I tell you, I tell my people the same thing. You will not make it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it. It's not possible. We absolutely have to have him. When you get punched in the gut, and you pick up the phone and it's not what you want to hear, you will not make it without the Holy Spirit. I don't know why God has done this in, in my life, but <clears throat> I have done more funerals 
I, I, I dare to bet more funerals than a whole lot of men. I have also seen many families that don't know Jesus. And I look at their, the difficulty of death, and without the hope to look forward to, I say, man, how did they make it? How does someone make it? How do you survive cancer? How do you survive a brain tumor? How do you survive Jody Gordon? How do you do that without the Holy Spirit? It's absolutely impossible. You've got to have oil. You've got to have oil. You've got to have the oil. So Jesus speaks in this passage of, about those that were wise and those that were foolish. The five wise versions. The reason that the Lord calls them wise, y'all know, they had extra oil. Listen, all 10 of the virgins had oil. They were all sincere. This passage of Scripture doesn't speak of them being evil. They all had oil, but there were five that had extra oil. They anticipated that the bridegroom was going to come, but they assumed it would be later rather than sooner. And so being that it would be later rather than sooner, they had an, enough oil to sustain them. Man, these five, they loved oil. They loved oil. If you got around them, it'd slosh all over you, right? They're pro probably Texans. <laughs> but, they, but they loved oil. They loved his word. They loved when his name left their lips. They loved gazing at him, so much so that to turn away from him would be a waste of time. That were the five that were wise, right? Then he speaks of those that were foolish, not evil, just foolish. They brought just enough. Uh, I, th I think I've got just enough. Yeah, I've, I've got just enough. It's that get by thing. I've got, I've got just enough to get by, right? So Jesus speaks to different about oil and extra oil and having just enough oil. This is the thing about oil, you guys. I can't give you my oil. As much as I love you, as much as I love my wife, as much as I love my boys, I cannot give them my oil, right? It's my oil. Not that I'm stingy, you just have to buy your own oil, right? I thought of something yesterday when I was praying before Chris came to get me. And this is for you parents that still have kids. I had this thought, this, you know, where, it where, where the scripture talks about raising our children in the nurture and admonition of God. And I think we spend so much of our lives as parents depositing in our kids what to do and what not to do and don't do this and don't. I tell you, at any given moment, my boys could tell you in an instant what I would do without me having to speak it, without me even having to say it. But you know what? I don't know that I've ever taught them how to buy oil. Because as much as I love my boys, I've got a son that's in a ministry and I've got an, another son that plays in the dirt with Game and Fish. I'm, I tell you what. I don't know that I taught them how to buy oil. 
Because as much as, do your kids ever go through something and you say to yourself, man, I wish I could do that for them. I'd take their place any day of the week so they wouldn't have to go through that. There's not a one of us in there that does not want, that wants to watch our kids suffer or go through something terrible. Put me in their place, Lord. But listen, as much as I want that, as much as I want to give them my oil, I cannot give them my oil. We've got to help them and teach them how to get their own oil. Because my kids cannot live off of my experience with the Father. Right? They've got to have their own way. Now, as they're little, you're teaching them and you're pouring into them. But when they get old, they can't. I can pray for them. I can love them. But listen, they, they've got to know how to get oil. So I'm going to start working on that. My grown boys, I'm going to teach them how to get oil. But they've got to have oil. The, the Lord speaks of those with oil as those that are wise. So another thought I had was that we lose focus sometimes about, um, and our emphasis is more on the lamp than it is on the oil. Because a lamp without oil is useless, right? How many of us are more concerned with how I appear to you or how I look to you, rather than what's going on inside of me, right? Now, I, I can speak, I can speak, um, and I don't think Jody will take offense at this. If you didn't know what Jody was going through in her life, you would think all is well. She's gorgeous, beautiful on the outside. In the spirit, she's She's one of those people that I know, that I know, that I know. The Holy Spirit just overshadows her. But if you know what's happening on the inside, it's hidden, right? You may not know it till she speaks. How much oil is on the inside of you? Are you more concerned with the outside or do you have oil? People can't always see your oil, but it's there. The Holy Spirit wants us to have a reservoir of extra oil. My son went through a difficult time this last year, my son and my, my daughter-in-law. Um, and I'll make it real fast. Rebecca talked about it yesterday, but I have my third grandson. He was born, but the entire time of Nicole's pregnancy, one sonogram, one, M one MRI after MRI after MRI, they spoke to them that the part of the baby's brain was missing. And it was, uh, I, I'm not, don't know medical terms. Um, maybe uh, Louis could help me, but it's called the cor uh, corpus callosum. And it's the part of the brain that sits between uh, the two frontal lobes of the brain that the right side can communicate to the left side. And the doctors told them over and over and over and over it is not present in this baby. And so from the end of her first trimester, every appointment after that until my son Benjamin said, we can't talk about this anymore, they were recommending or they were saying, we'd like you to you know, consider termination. Do you really want to have a handicapped child your whole life? So Benjamin, who's my oldest son, he's, he's a twin of Chris Thomason. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get him some deliverance. I really am, you know, but... He told me just, just last week, Daddy, I'm so glad that I had some 
some extra in me because I had to dig down really deep through this whole thing. So, man, quick, at the end of the story, that baby was born. He's perfect. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm not lying to you. I'm not fabricating this story. It is the absolute truth. The doctor came in and she said, you know, we need to tell you, Every MRI and every test we took prior to the delivery of this baby was 100% accurate. accurate. There was not that portion in his brain. But today in the brain scan, it is there. And they even just did another MRI a week before last just to make sure. (laughs) You hear me? You've got to have something deep within you when that storm comes. To, to draw from. So how do you buy oil? Let me give you three, three, three simple thoughts. How do you buy oil? This is, this is the first thought. Forgive me if it sounds elementary. You've got to have a devotional life. You've got to know him. There's no shortcuts. I wish there were. I wish there were, but there aren't. It's an investment of your time of sitting at his feet. You've got to have that. It's, it's not an option. You say, oh, some people say, man, I do it while I'm driving my truck to work. Well, that's good. But, man, you're not locked away to be with him. You've got to be with him. I'll never forget a, a few months ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jerry, I want to be the first voice you hear every day. I don't want it to be Fox News. I don't want it to be the phone that's ringing. You get up early enough with me so that I'm the first voice you hear. You guys, we have to learn to seize that invitation to be in his presence. So that the lesser things mean nothing to us and we want to experience the greater things, right? Number one, you've got to have a devotional life. The second thought is this. No, real quick. A.W. Tozer says this, he waits to be wanted. Isn't that good? So the father, father waits to be wanted. We've got to be willing to push aside the lesser pleasures to gain the higher joys of seeking him and knowing him. The second thought is this, you've got to walk in humility. Some people, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know what humility does? It extends an invitation to the Holy Spirit. When you choose to say, God, I cannot do this, Holy Spirit, you can. When our church was burning in the fire at 2 o'clock in the morning, I stood outside the church. It was an arson fire. Christina and Eric, y'all saw it was a huge fire. I just stood out in the parking lot. I was a new pastor. I'd been a worship leader for 18 years, and I had only been pastor in that church for two years. I stood out in that parking lot. And I, I'll never forget, I looked at the fire just blazing. And I thought to myself, I didn't think to myself, I said this, God, I can't do this. And I heard the Holy Spirit say these words to me, but I can. I, I'm not making that up. I'm telling you, it was honest to God truth. And it was those three words, but I can, that set the course for me. Every time I've come against something that I don't think I could do, that I know that the Holy Spirit has promised me that he will be with me, right? So walk in humility, 
It creates dependency upon God. You're dependent upon God. I used to pray, Lord, I don't want to get nervous. I, I still to this day get nervous before I get up here and do this kind of stuff. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to be nervous. I told Chris, I'm, I'm nervous. I said, what are you nervous for? I used to ask the Lord, take this away from me. He said, if I do, Jerry, you won't be dependent. So, man, I've got a lot of lessons in my, in my story. The third thought is this. You must pray for the fear of the Lord. I don't think we often think about that. There's not a one of us in this room that does not know what sin is. But listen, not all of us hate sin. Right? I'm not talking about the dread fear of the Lord, that you dread him. I'm talking about the reverential fear of God. That you revere him, that you honor him, that you're not so familiar with him that you just breathe in and breathe out. He's not your homie. He's the father, right? I want to walk in the fear of the Lord because I want to love what he loves and hate what he hates, right? I want that, I want that more than anything. Let me wrap it up. So after Matthew 24, telling them what's going to happen, after Matthew 25 in the parable of the virgins, these disciples were listening to Jesus talk, and they still needed him. And they knew that his absence to them was not acceptable. They needed to be with him. They needed, they'd been with him three years, day in and day out. Oh, my gosh, and he's telling them, I'm going to leave? Wait a minute. No, that's not going to work. That's not going to work for us. Listen, for them, absence produced fear. The absence of Jesus produces fear. The, dis the disciples weren't the only one that had this going on. Moses did, right? There's not a one of us in this room that would not say that Moses was probably as close to God as humanly possible. And yet in Exodus 33, he says, God, you've asked me to lead these people. You've asked me to lead these people. God, but you haven't told me how it's going to happen. How, how's it going to happen? He, Jesus, uh, the Father says to him, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So Moses comes back. But what if it does? What if you don't? Right? And yet the scripture tells us that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. In Hebrew, the word is panim. Panim, it literally means this, nose to nose. So Moses also had that longing, and he was bold enough to say, all right, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. Right? Talk about dependency. Right? He knew this. His presence brought security. So the disciples knew that his absence brought fear, Moses knew that his presence brings security. So that's really what Jesus is saying. He wanted to give the disciples something to seek their teeth in after the crucifixion, before the resurrection. They needed something to, to hold on to, and he wants to do the same thing for us. So two things. What does he ask of us? Let me give it to you. 
get oil and watch. Get oil and watch. The psalmist said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life and to sit at your feet. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right? Get oil. And he says, watch. Don't let yourself get too comfortable. Pack lightly. Hold on to things loosely. Don't forecast too far in the future unless it's like, I'm going to be with Jesus. You just never know what the next day holds. But if we're loosed from the things of this world, we can grab a hold of the ankle of God with everything that we've got. And we watch for him to come at every turn. When I was in campus ministry um, a million years ago, (laughs) in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a man that spoke a lot into our Campus Crusade for Christ ministry. His name was Dennis Rainey. And he told this story about a, a family that came home on furlough. They came home and they were raising support while they were back in the States. And this family from his church gave them a lake house to stay in while they were visiting. They had three little kids. Mother and father had three little kids. And the mama was cooking, and the, the kids were playing out in the yard, and they were walking out on the dock, and it was just something else. And all of a sudden, the mama looked up from washing dishes, and she saw her two oldest kids running into the house. And they said, Mama, Mama, he fell in. He fell in their little brother. So the dad ran out and he jumped into the water at the end of the pier. And if any of y'all have been around that, it's so murky usually right around that. He couldn't see a thing. Couldn't, Couldn't see anything in the water. So he came up for air and went down again. He couldn't see his son. He was just panicking and panicking and panicking. Went down the third time. He could not find his boy. Everybody was panicking and just screaming. He went down one more time, and he found his little boy with his arms wrapped around the pier of the dock. And he pulled his arms off, and he pulled him up out of the water, got him out of the water. They laid him down. He he got his life back in him. He says, what were you doing down there? What, What were you doing? And he said, just waiting on you, Daddy. You hold on to him with all you've got. Time is short. Ten virgins, that's what, it's a wake-up call for us to buy oil. To buy oil and to watch. Now, this is the problem that the Lord has with us in watching. You remember when your children were little and they're trying to get your attention and you're doing this and doing this? My babies would grab my face, Daddy, Daddy. They're saying, don't take your eyes off of me, Daddy. Watch. Watch. So, you're here today and you're asking this question. 
All right, I, I agree with that. We immediately think about what we're going to have to give up and what it's going to cost you. You want me to tell you what it's going to cost you? Everything. Because you lay down the lesser pleasures for the greater pleasure. Even legitimate pleasures for the greater pleasure. And one last thought. If you're still worried about what it's going to cost you, and you're still counting out your offering, you've never experienced his worth. Because he deserves it all. Every bit of it, right? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're waiting on you, Jesus. We're waiting on you to come, Father. Lord, I thank you for every friend in this room, every brother and sister. Jesus, I just sense the nearness of your presence. I feel the locking of our arms that we're committed to wait for you. Lord, I pray that, God, you would speak to each one of us and show us how to buy oil. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, teach us how to buy oil. Father, we're eager for your return. We're eager for your return. And we thank you for this blessed day. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. Let me pray over you. Is that okay? I'll pray over you in Hebrew, Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, right? Peace. God bless you guys.